I want you to turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, just quickly to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 2, 1 through 11. I want to start by saying Jesus is our El Shaddai. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, that means he's more than enough. How many know he's more than enough? No matter how, how things are, no matter how things are going, he's more than enough. And, you know, when we bring Jesus into the center of what we're doing and we make him the Lord of our lives, really make him Lord of our lives and understand that the commitment and relationship we have with him, it changes us. It changes what happens in us. And it makes a difference and it impacts us. And it impacts everything about us. Jesus is our special gift. How many know that God gave his only begotten son? Aren't you glad you have Jesus? If you know him. Amen. If you've received him, you know it. Amen. He was brought into this world with unconditional love. Amen. How many know he loves us no matter what? Aren't you glad that he loves us no matter what? He, he came into the world with unending hope. I mean, he, he, he is the hope of the world. He is our hope. Amen. And he came into the world to give us eternal life. You know, if you don't know him, you don't have life. You might have, you might have experience, you might have natural life, but it doesn't mean you have the life of God or you understand God. This morning, we're talking about commitment. I was a little strong in the first service with Sumter. I don't know why. I just felt led to be stronger about relationships and commitment to God. Because there are, you know, it just seems like the, the, the church has become kind of afraid to talk about having a, a level of holiness or loving God. And, you know, for me, he's everything to me. He's all my world. He's all my life. He's all I am. Everything I, I know is in him. I'm in love with Jesus. I'm really in love with Jesus. Amen. How many of you can say that I'm in love with Jesus? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just in love with him. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. The Bible says every man is drawn away by his own lust. So everybody has issues. Everybody has challenges. Then it says this, but when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. When lust conceives. So, so there are things that tempt us and so on and so forth. The world presents things that tempt us. But we don't have to, we don't have to indulge in them. We don't have to have intentional lives of sin. How many know God doesn't want us to live intentionally sinful? If you know the word, you're to do the word. Amen. And we're not to give ourselves permission. We're to renew our mind and we're to crucify our flesh. L look at your body and say, I crucify this thing. And then with your mind, you renew it. It has to stay renewed because it's just, it's just part of the dirt of who you are. Your dirt, it's dirt. That's the end of it. And it thinks like dirt. And so we have, to, we have to renew it. It has to be, it has to be uh, brought into subjection to the Word of God. It has to be, you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, it's sad when we in church uh, have a gospel anymore that's more... It's, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, and I'm, I, you know, because I think we all struggle with wanting, you know, more of a perfection in what we do. But if our perfection comes at the sacrifice of the gospel itself, then we're making a big, huge mistake. I, uh, I had a guy here that was working for me. He was, this was years and years ago, 20-something years and years ago. And um, as, I'm, as he's working for me, uh, a lady came into my office and said, I want you to know that I believe that this young man is grooming my 13-year-old daughter. Well, he'd been texting this little girl, and it was inappropriate texting. 
And so I don't tell you everything that goes on in church. You don't need to know everything. everything everybody has a mystery, and every time, it's, every time something goes wrong and people leave, it's always Pastor Steve. But trust me, there are things you don't know. So anyway, I just, uh, uh, you know, I had to deal with that situation. I had to call him in. I called him and his wife, and his wife said, well, he's he really not doing that. He's just, he is just, uh, you know, being kind to kids. He likes kids. He'd rather be a youth minister or whatever. You know, it was one of the finest um, uh, what he did was what well, he was fantastic at, really fantastic at it. Um, and I may as well go into some of it, but he, he was uh, one of the major musicians for Gospel Workshops of America. Uh, he was uh, at one time traveling on planes with ministries around the, uh, the country, playing in their services. And I had gotten him here at the church, and, 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 you know, of course, you know, his wife said it was, it was not quite right, but I knew what I saw. I knew that, that, it, that it was not progressive enough to be uh, a terrible thing, but if it left alone and I didn't do something about it as a pastor should do, it could have been major problems. I took the young man into my office, sat him down in my office, and I said to him, I said, I want you to stop doing what you do. I want you to no longer touch Matter of fact, don't touch a keyboard, don't play drums, don't sing a song. I don't want you to do anything. All I want you to do is I'm going to pay you a full-time salary for a year. You're going to sit at a desk, and I'm going to teach you to be a man. I thought that was a pretty good thing. See, our problem with him was the level of commitment he had to the gospel. He was committed to financial prosperity. He was committed to money. He was committed to... Various things. And yet when it came to the Bible, when it came to the things of God, because obviously this was a problem with him, and any of you would understand where I was coming from, he had been groomed the wrong way by churches. That's the saddest part. That churches had groomed him in a way that he didn't have a value for the gospel, or it wasn't preached in a way, or some, I'm not sure what, personally, that obviously was more important that he performed a service and that the service part that he performed was good. And then we don't worry about the rest of it. You know, we just talk to the people in the audience about getting saved and their commitment to God. But this guy, he doesn't have to have that commitment because he's talented. But see, you can, you, people can't tell you what to do. People can't tell you uh, things to do in your life. But God can. God can tell you what to do. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. God has written it out. He's told us about the levels of commitment we need to have with God. And so there was, I mean, it's not, this is not a game. It's not a social commitment or a social environment that we come to. And we just, like I said, many are where the Bible says we're all tempted. And then when, when temptation conceives, you know, there have been many times that I, I had an opportunity to do wrong, but I didn't. How I many you know you can you can have you can have uh, the something pull you, but doesn't mean you did something wrong. Say amen that you didn't conceive habitually conceive to do sin. But but you know uh, anyway, I, I invited him not to play here, not to sing here, not to be involved in that. Sit down at a desk. I'll pay you a full time salary. You stay here. Stay off of that. You don't do that. And I want you to learn to live like a man. I want you to, I want to teach you how to live godly, which I think we ought to do. How many think we ought to do that? 
When I got married to my wife, I had dated a lot of girls, and I had always used the word love a lot. You know, I, you know, I had a lot of girlfriends, and I told all of them, hey, I love you. I mean, no, and they wanted it, you know, because they're like, what do you think? How are you feeling about me? And eventually they want you to say, I love you. And I did it. And then I realized that, I, that, that those were girls that I had no commitment to. You understand? You can love your car. I love my dogs. I got two dogs. They hug on me, kiss on me. You know, I don't know how to explain this, but the dog that I have will wrap his arms around my neck and hug me. And I love that dog. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? I love that dog. We have love for things. Genuine love for things. I, 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 I told those girls, but after I, I, before, there was a season that I had decided that love was no longer just a word. How many understand what I'm talking about? That if you're going to marry somebody or you're going to you, you use the word love, it ought to be in coordination with the word uh, a commitment. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? I mean, if you, get, if you, if you come to somebody... And all they do is tell everybody they love them. So I had decided I would not tell Amy or any other girl that I loved them until I was willing to marry them. And then the moment I got engaged, there were no others. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like I had full blinders on, nobody else. Wasn't just a word. Does, does anybody hear what I'm talking about? Amen. I was committed. Committed. And so... Uh, Amy and I dated for quite a while. Then one, uh, it was uh, 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 Valentine's Day. We went to eat in Orlando, Florida. And I took her to a great restaurant. We had great food. Then I took her to the Marriott Orlando World Center. And back then, there wasn't a whole lot of buildings like there are now. It was, you know, this is, we're talking, you know, a while ago. So anyway, they have a glass elevator that faces Disney. I got on the glass elevator. Rode the glass elevator to the top of the hotel. You could see Disneyland. Fireworks were going off. And the people in the hotel shut the elevator off for me. I got down on one knee and I said, Amy, I love you. Will you marry me? Now, when I said I love you, I meant I'm not going to be saying it to nobody else like I'm saying it to you. I'm really committed. I'm committed to this. See, when you make a decision to get married to somebody, you make a decision to do these things, you make a commitment to them. Commitment. It's not just going to be a passing thing, a fading deal. You with me? Commitment. Now, I'm saying this to you for a reason because we're talking about give a gift to Jesus and what the value of these gifts were. What, what did it take to get these gifts to, to this moment and why, what, what should we do this morning? Why do we do this at Family Worship Center? Because I want to relate to you a level of commitment that we ought to make as believers. He's the source of my life. He is my life. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. I am committed to Him. I'm committed. It's not just a Sunday thing for me. It's an everyday thing. It's an every minute thing. And so, after I told him this, another pastor locally decided to hire him. Never called me, never asked me the problem. They hired him locally. He played for them. He stopped playing for me. That was fine. Then he moved to another state in another city. I got a phone call from a friend of mine. 
And the friend of mine called me up and said, Pastor Steve, uh, there's this guy, blah, blah, blah. I said, listen, he's one of the finest people musically I've ever seen. He's tremendous. Uh, you know, this is all I got to say. He's just awesome. But I want to add to you this. I want you to warn your pastor friend that he has a problem that he never dealt with. See, he never dealt with it. It was never a level of commitment to him to actually deal with it. He just jumped ship and ran to the next place. I want to say this to the church. I, want to, I mean this. It's embarrassing for us to know that people are living in, in, in adultery, in fornication, thieves, liars, and because they have talent, we forget about all that. I'm going to preach now. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to tell you what I, I wasn't going to, but I think I may as well. And we forget about all that. But the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. I didn't say it. Family Worship Center didn't say it. God said it, and he meant what he said. Thou shalt not commit fornication. Now, there are people that are unmarried. You didn't follow through. That marriage is when we accept the responsibility of receiving a license or an agreement within the country or state that we live, and we, cons- we, we consolidate two human beings into one through the process of marriage. If in Africa it's, it's going into a tent together alone at 12 o'clock at night, and that equals marriage, the moment you do that, then you're married. In America, it's go down to the courthouse... Fill out a piece of paper, sign that you're getting married. Now, I know there are people in here that would say to me, now, don't get mad at me. You don't have to come back, and you probably won't, but I don't, I'm, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching for Jesus. This, uh, we lived together for seven years, so we're married, is not true. That's a lie. You have community responsibilities that are same, but you are not married because you did not do it before the Lord. And the fact that you slept together with somebody and you never married them, because there are people that they didn't get divorced from their last wife, so they married somebody else, which they didn't, because if you're married to somebody else, you can't get married to a second person. Okay, I'm going to preach. I'm just going to keep on preaching. I had a guy come in here several, several months ago. You know, I mean, we we're making decisions, and he, it, none, you never met him. He never played on the platform. I never had him on my platform. But I met with him in my office about doing music. Great pianist. Great. Plays for a band. Travels the country with this band. Playing all over. And, and I can turn on the videos and show you him on the piano with a bunch of people you don't know whether the... I mean, as much as I can tell, nobody in the band saved. I'm just telling you the truth because they're just in the club on Friday too. Never mind. You don't, you're not hearing me. When I get done with this, you're going to understand when we give a gift to Jesus... What was the value? What's the value? When I got saved, it seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. We're afraid to preach on sin anymore in the church because people might leave. If it goes down to me and my wife, I'm going to preach truth. I don't care if you come back. I'm not backing down off of none of it. I'm not afraid of you. Fear the Lord, the Bible says, and I'm not afraid to preach truth. I don't need another like on my social post. I don't care if I'm traveling the country and 50,000 people are watching. It don't matter to me. I'm preaching here. This is where God called me. And I'm going to preach the truth. That's the end of it. Because I want eternity. I want what's see, See, if you don't have him here, you can't have anything after here. 
And what we have after here is far more important. We, we need to understand the value of the commitment we make to Jesus when we come to Him. He made a commitment to us and expects us to make a commitment to Him. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Look at somebody and say, we ought to live right. Find somebody tell me, we ought to live right. Christians ought to sense conviction in their heart. I didn't say condemnation. God does not condemn us. He did not come to condemn the world, but that through Him we might be saved. He came to convict us. He came to deal with us. He came to challenge us. And when we come to church, there ought to be challenges in the church. If every time we go to church, all they want to talk about is some form of social help that helps us have uh, you know, a better TV and better cars and new shoes, then we've missed the point. There's something about living for Jesus. There's something about having relationships with Jesus. He's the source of my life. I wake up thinking about Him. I go to bed thinking about Him. I walk through the lunch day and think about Him. He's in my heart all the time, not just some of the time. And born-again believers ought to love Him that way. He came in here and... You know, I heard him play, and he, 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 he uh, you know, I uh, started talking to him, and he started talking about the, the number of kids he had, three or four kids. Uh, I think it was two or three kids, and then one more, he was living with a girl, and she was pregnant. And every week he plays, and the church people are jumping around the pews, running around the pews, you know, shouting, screaming, and hollering, never thought about I am going to work. I'm telling you now. I'm tired of the church acting like we don't have a responsibility to tell the truth. Oh, when they get saved, Jesus will show them. The Bible says faith comes by preaching or hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. It is the responsibility of the church to share. Most of you don't read the Bible. I better tell you what it says. I hope somebody's watching me online. Here's what I'm saying. Somebody, because God wants to birth ministries out of holy people. Holy people. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit fornication. Since I started this church, I've done everything in my power to ensure that that didn't have this man came in. And then he started telling me, yeah, I preach. I said, sir, let me tell you something. No one should ever let you preach a sermon until you get your life right. You have no business preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ when you live like that. Habitual fulfillment and commission of sin. These aren't accidents. These aren't oops. This is decisions and choices to go places and do things and find yourself in environments and place yourself. Listen, you ought to put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John between you. That's how you stay out of trouble. And so I feel led to say to the church, it's time that we start talking again about levels of commitment to our church, to the Lord, to the things of God, to people who will give us the things of God, who will sow into our lives. We spend more time at football games than we spend in the church, at basketball games than we spend in the church. We run around all over the place, and, 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 and we fail to realize the value. And I want you to understand the value today of what happened on the day that they brought the gifts to Jesus and how we should feel the same way, that we should have a level of commitment. 
don't just run around. Listen, there are times I, you know, we give away shirts and things. And one time I was standing at a gas station and I saw a guy with a shirt on from another church. And he was cussing his wife out, screaming at her, telling her off and all that stuff. And all I could think about is I pray, God, nobody, please, Lord, don't let nobody from my church. I had a man come up to me yesterday, or a lady, who was coming out of Costco. She comes up and she says, Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus is Christmas. And then she started cussing right after that. I, I, want, I, just, I looked at my wife and I said, apparently Jesus is out here somewhere. Because when I have him in me, I'm not like the world. Because I made a commitment. He's all the world. He is my eternity. He is my salvation. He is my way. And believers, we've got to come back to the altars with that kind of commitment to church. That kind of commitment to the things of God. That kind of commitment to Jesus. Are you at the scriptures? I would read it to you, but I'm just going to go ahead and just begin my, my uh, narration instead. Starting at the first verse, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold. Now I want you to understand, Matthew's the writer of this. And as he's writing these scriptures, he's trying to get us to understand not only what was going on there, but a perception of what's going on. And so the word behold, there's an interesting word that he used. He used a word, it's the word edo. It means bewilderment. It means shock, amazement, wonder. And so Matthew is trying to help us understand. He wants us to imagine in that kind of wonder. What it was like on that day when, when the, the, these magi are coming to present these gifts to Jesus. And so he's trying to get us not only to understand the value, and just, just to say this, listen to me. Listen, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Listen, the Bible says it's to marry, it's better to marry than to burn. If you can't straighten up your relationship, move out of that house, stop having sex every week with your, or every night with your personal friend or whatever then you either need to leave them, you need to move out from them, or you need to marry them. There is no excuse. I'm preaching real good. Don't say, well, I didn't know about this, and I didn't know about this, and I wasn't sure about this, and I wasn't something, something about this, and, I was, and he didn't show me this, and she didn't show me this, and she didn't fix this, and she didn't fix that, and he didn't do this, and he's still doing this. You know the right way. If you have doubts, either you subside to the doubts and say, I can't marry that, That's not, that doesn't qualify. Don't get mad at me. And I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to know. Listen, don't tell me you tithe. I want to see you tithe. Don't tell me you're going to serve God and you don't pray. We're going to pray. I, I, never mind, you're not getting with me. I don't need a response, I need an action. And if your actions don't line up, then your words are worthless. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Read it right. And stop playing with God. He's not funny about all this. It's not a joke with him. 
He's for real. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Your, your excuses will not work at the gates of heaven. <laughs> when you leave this room, you have a choice to straighten up your life. Every man is tempted. Every man is drawn away by his own lust. But when he stops, when he stops just being drawn away by the lust and he starts paying for the porn. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach the truth. This is about Christmas. It's about Jesus. It's about a seriousness with God. It's about laying down every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us. When they came to Jesus, the value, what is the value? What is the value of the gift that they brought? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, they behold, wow, the amazement of it all. We're supposed to be that way with Jesus. We're supposed to find him in that value, with that kind of value. Wow, with bewilderment, with shock, with amazement, with wonder. And Matthew wants us to understand that's how they came. Today when we give these gifts, therefore they are about his amazement. If you just drew a picture, if all you had was a penny, when you come, please, please have that wonder and amazement about Jesus. Jesus. You know the woman when she gave the mite, that's all she had. She didn't have millions of dollars but she gave of all. The Bible says she gave of all that she had. That's talking about the heart condition. Her heart for the might. Jesus. Jesus. It goes on to say it this way. Wise men came. Now, I want you to get this. Because when we think of wise men, all we think about are three gifts and three horses and three men. But the word there is the word magos, or in this case it was plural, magi. It's a Greek word, and what it means is a group of people at the highest level. Decision makers, priests, astronomers, educators, strong people in the community, influencers. And they were coming under the influence of Daniel's, what Daniel had prophesied about Jesus. They knew that Jesus was coming. They understood the value of Jesus because of Daniel's prophetic utterances. And so they have, fo they have followed to this place. And they've come to this place. And it goes on to say that the, uh, another going on with the Greek, it says king makers. These were people that were king makers. In other words, Herod at one time was removed by this group of people. And was replaced by this group of people. They brought him back in. Herod had, had in, was, this group of people was, was hundreds strong. Let's say a hundred or more strong. So when they came, they were influencers, educators, lawyers, doctors. It was, a, it was the inner sanctum of the Israelites. And they were coming because they had followed the, the, the prophetic, prophetic word of Daniel. And they show up in this town. And not only are they there, but according to the, uh, the documents that I've read and history that I've read, they came with armies with them. And not only that, but they had to, when they carried this, this gift to Jesus, it took literally probably thousands of people with them to carry the gift. 
Now, what we see is when we look at the, the postcards, we see three people and three little gifts. But the reality is, is these were leaders, king makers. They were coming to the city as a group. As, uh, literally, there was hundreds of them and probably thousands flying. Like the president of the United States flying to another country. The jet carries him. They let cars out. There's a whole team of people that went before him and got there and got it all ready. They're, they're, they're those people. They're showing up with this entourage of people, literally probably several thousand, thousand or more people at least that were there. And Herod was nervous about this because he knew they were kingmakers. They were not just your average person. They were serious about this. These are serious people. They're serious about this situation. And listen, the Bible goes on to say they were from the east. They came from Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born to be king? Where is this king? Now that word saying there is a Greek word that means constantly and consistently. They were going around the city, the thousands of them, asking, where is he? In search of this king. Where is the king? Where is this king? And when they use the word king there, they're, they're describing not just a king, but they understood they were coming to meet the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was infallible in Aaron, the one who would carry them forever, the one who was El Shaddai, Elohim. This is the king they're coming for, not just a king, but the king. They're around the city asking, where is the king? This is why Herod's disturbed. Because it's a group of people, not three, but a group of people that were coming. And they had traveled, and they'd gone through all they'd gone through to get to this place. And they brought from the east to look for this king of the Jews, for we saw a star. The word in the Greek there, star, means, it's a literal meaning this. It says, they were led by a star. We kind of see it as the North Star. We look up at the sky, and we're looking for something in the sky, like stars. This wasn't like that at all. There was literally a something that was leading them and was leading them. They knew it and could describe it only as a star. But it was leading them. It had sat and waited. It had moved when they needed to move. It had carried them from there to somewhere else. Listen to how it describes it. It says this, in the east, and we have come, we follow this star to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where is the Christ? Where Christ was to be born? In other words, he knew that there was a birthing place. He understood, if I could find out, I kind of have a general timeline. These people are here because they've been, they are following something. And so I want to know where he's at. And so it goes on to say, uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, and go there to Bethlehem, land of Judah, are, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come the ruler who will shepherd us and my people Israel forever. Then Herod went and he secretly called the wise men and determined among them where the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring him backward to me, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen, the star that was leading them. I mean, we can put together so much. You can put so much together from what's, what's actually written here. They were being led. No man comes to the Father lest the Spirit. I mean, we can continue. I don't have time for all that. But sometimes we miss the values of Scriptures and the value of why do we do this? Why are we doing this today? Why? 
when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Listen, let's go back. When they heard the king, they went to the east till it came and stood. Look at this house. Look at this star. It was not the north star hanging over them and just brightly shining over an area. This star brought them to a house. It was a light that shined down to a house. And now these thousands of people, however that many there were, followed this star to this house. Not just Nazareth, but to the house. Now this is important because Jesus had gone to Bethlehem and he was an infant. He was a baby in Bethlehem. Do you understand? He was a baby in Bethlehem. But that's not where this occurred. They were only in Bethlehem about 40 days. They left Bethlehem because they had done what they needed to do there. And so the baby had left and they went back home. They went back to Nazareth, their house. Now think about this. They're in their house. They go to their house. They're inside this house. And the star comes over the house. And look at what it says here. The star led them. Hold on. Undo. Hallelujah. The star led them in the east. And we've come to worship him. And so they go down. And uh, here we are. Uh, when the, he heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the house, over where the young child was. You see, by the time we get to this point, Jesus is about two years old. Two different u- words are used. The first word deals with him as a child. The second one deals with him as a young person being taught. At this point, he's about two years old, and he's no longer in Bethlehem. He's now in Nazareth. And so when they come up, he's a young boy of two years old inside the house with his mother. They're standing outside. When, all, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That word joy is the word all-out joy. When they got to that house and they knew they were at the house of Jesus, they got up and started jumping. They got up and started hollering. They got up, they started, I mean, flipping out. They were flipping out in the yard. I mean, they were losing it. We have found the place, and they were filled with uttermost joy. Can you imagine? This is the wonderment and the bewilderment. This is how we ought to feel about Jesus. This is how we ought to feel about who he is and what he is to us. Wonderment and joy and fulfillment, and we're full. We found the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you understand? Christians find the King of kings. We found the King. Listen, when he comes inside of you, he didn't come inside of you as part of you, as a little bit of you, as sort of a little bit of himself. He came inside of you as all that he is, everything he can do, everything he's able to do, everything you need in life, everything is provided, and it lives inside of you. Jesus lives inside of you, the King of kings and the Lord. Do you understand? It's so hot in here, I think I'm going to sweat to death. I'm burning up. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down. The word fell down there is the word pinto. It means they literally collapsed. I want you to understand the value of the gifts. Why are we doing this at Family Worship Center? It's odd. It's not something everybody does. It's something the Lord put on my heart. It's because I want our church to understand the value of the Jesus that we serve. I want you to understand the, the Prince of Peace. I want you to understand when we come into the house of God, you know, coming to the house of God shouldn't be an option. 
it ought to be a demand on ourself that we come into the house of God and we enter His house with thanksgiving in our heart and enter His courts with praise. The seriousness of who Jesus is. That without Him, you couldn't go to heaven. Without Him, you can't prosper. Not really. Without Him, you're not really healed. Come on, somebody. He's our healer, our deliverer, our helper, our soon-coming king, our way out, our prosperity, our source, our overcoming. I could go on and on and on. And what is His value to us? Is it just a 30-minute prayer meeting or a five-minute song service or, or just, just a No, He's the value, the value. We should leap and full, be full of joy and be full of the joy of the Lord. And when we come before Him, collapse in His presence. How valuable is Jesus? They worshipped him. They collapsed in front of him. They fell at his feet. And the Bible says they worshipped him. That's the word proko or prokoneo. It means to kiss the ground when, when prostrated superior before a superior. To fall down and be prostrate, prostrate oneself. To adore on one's knees. To worship with all necessary physical gestures. And to worship with kisses. I love it when people say, well, that's, not my, that's, not my, that's just not my nature. Who cares about your nature? Who's worried about whether or not you're worried about the neighbor or the, or the person sitting next to you? This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is your only way. He's your source and your life. When you come, you're to be full of joy. When you get in front of him and get in his presence, you're to become prostrate in your mind. He's more superior, more valuable, more important than anything I know. And when I get a chance, I want to kiss on him. I want to love him. I want to hug him. I want to tell him how great he is. I want to... This is not about personality. There's something about when he comes into a room. You just, you just, there's just a difference. There's just a difference. The Bible says that, the, that he comes upon us when, 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 when times of refreshing come upon us. Yes, he's in us. Yes. But he also comes upon us. And we should worship at a level. That's what this is about this morning. When you come, I want you to come with that kind of worship. I want you to come and say, God, I don't, it's not about how much I've got, but God, with my heart, with my heart, with my passion. I mean, we should understand from them the, the value of this. It means to physically carry, to bear towards him with gifts. They presented, the word presented there is, is prospero. It means to physically carry, to bear his gifts with large. The, these gifts that they brought were large. They were numerous. They had to be carried into the house. The word gifts there that goes on, it says, it means this in the Greek. Greek, it means treasure, storehouses, houses, and cargo. Not one hand but all the cargo. All my treasure. All my treasure. He's in there. The Holy Spirit. He's in there. Oh. All my cargo. 
all my treasure. God, it's yours. I, I give it to you. you. It belongs to you. I honor you today with great honor. With great honor I come, Lord. I, see, when I was growing up, we had all-night prayer meetings. We had weeks and weeks of services. They wouldn't just have like one service, one hour on Wednesday. We had four weeks of revival. Four weeks. And everybody went to work. Left their job at 6 o'clock, got to church at 6.30, the band was ready, the choir was ready, and we worshiped, not until 9 o'clock at night. Not until 9 o'clock. We went for four weeks until it was done, until folks got it out, until we were on the carpet weeping. Some folks had to be carried out of the building. And today, our form of worship is, when are y'all done? You know, I mean, right now, I feel the pressure. I, I, you know, listen, I could get done in two minutes, but I wish somebody would let me alone so I don't have to finish it at 12 noon to get out of the building and say, I want to hear what you got to say. This is Jesus. This is his word. This counts for my future. This is about my eternity. This, I mean, I mean, I mean we, we, today we're under pressure. Most people just stayed home so they could watch football all afternoon and forget about church. But I'm telling you now, you need Jesus. You need him in your life. You need him in your school. You need him in your marriage. You need him in your children. Not one day a month, not one day a year, but every day. Committed to God, for real with God. You can go back through your life and you can see where you erred and that error brought things into your life you didn't want in your life. Get them out of your life. Let God transform you. He's worth more. Hallelujah. I'm preaching real good. They brought them to him. To these men, they brought the greatest leader ever born. God's treasure to man. We treat him so human. We treat him like we treat men. And yet he was God's treasure to man. The greatest king that would ever live. The greatest gift that has ever been given. The size of which, which can never been equaled by anyone else ever. A gift that would be enormously valuable to every person literally more than we could imagine when these men came to jesus they understood who he was prophecy had declared it they came with prophetic gifts it wasn't listen it's it's not it's certainly not about the size but it is about us understanding the value the the value the gifts they brought were enormous they brought Enormous fortune. They brought it that day to Jesus. The word gold there is the word carusos. Now I want you to understand, when they list gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold was the least valuable of all the gifts given. And according to the Bible, and according to things we look through in history, we can see what a small king would have gotten if given gifts. They would always give gifts. A small king at this time would have gotten about $5 million. This is somebody who was just a small king over a small city. 
they weren't coming to give to a small king. They were coming because they knew he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They came with thousands carrying the treasure with them and the gifts. They carried this Caruso's pure metal, pure gold, the highest level of gold you could bring according to the Bible, according to history. Profound wealth, the gift that they gave. They gave frankincense, which was only a gift given to kings. They used 700 pounds of frankincense a year in the, in the tabernacle or in the, in the, uh, 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 the, the, the priests would use it. 700 pounds, but only for the king, only for God, only in the presence of the Lord. When they brought this, they knew what they were bringing. They also brought myrrh, Smyrna. This was a bomb, used, uh, a bomb or a, a paste used for embalming. Now, that's an odd gift to give, but they understood prophecy. When they came, they came in awe and wonder. They came out of the magnificence of who he was. They came following the Holy Spirit, the leading of the light. They showed up at the house and they found themselves in pure joy. When they walked in, they knelt down and wept because they knew he wasn't just aching. He was Savior. And they walked in and they brought in gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The largest value into this house. Now I want you to understand about Jesus. I want you to think about this. First of all, I want you to understand that, that he had a mission by God. And that the Bible says that God will supply all my needs... So you have to understand, when this moment happened, he became extremely wealthy. Every need. There are no offerings. Jesus never took an offering. Not once. And yet, he had a treasurer. Why? Where did the wealth go? Joseph died, and, and the Bible tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was the one who came in and began, the, began the, uh, the, the, the guardian of all this stuff, almost like a father over the house. But it was his uncle. This was Jesus' mother's bro- uh, father's brother. The Bible describes him as the wealthiest man. All of a sudden, he's the wealthiest man in all of Israel. Where do you think that came from? But here's the best part. Jesus came and brought to the whole house of Elizabeth. I want you to think about this. Every financial need was met that day for the rest of her life. It is describing to us That Jesus supplies all of our needs. There's nothing missing and nothing broken. If you miss the point that Jesus was supplied by God, and you can't understand he wants to supply you. What did I say comes in? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come into him. Do you think if he comes into you that you would suffer lack? No. No. But they understood it. 
And so they brought him enormous wealth. It's so, it's so hard to even describe the wealth that they brought into that house that morning. I don't even want to put a number on it. It's massive what they brought to Jesus that day. They saw the star. They went looking for the king of kings. They went to Bethlehem and they finally ended up in Nazareth following the star which landed on the house. And when they got there, they were so full of joy. They began leaping and jumping and running around the house. We found him. We found him. We found him. I want you to know something. I found him. I found him. I found him. King of kings and Lord of lords. I leap in my car and jump in my car and jump in the kitchen and jump at the pool. And I, I, I shout and dance around my house. And I do it while I'm here because I found him. I found him. I found him. And when I get in his presence, I just want to weep. I just want to cry. I just want to tell him, I love you, Lord. I love you with all my heart. Jesus, I love you. Is there anything I need to get out of my life? Is there anything I need to purge out of myself? And I present him with gifts. Your gift will make room for you. This is about what is the condition of your heart. This morning, why do we do give a gift to Jesus? We do this so that you can know where you stand with God. You can know the value of Jesus within you. You're not just talking Christian talk. You don't just have jargon, but you have Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's not just jargon. It's Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? Have you made it right with Jesus? Are you too proper? Are you too proud to stand up and say, I need to make this right. I've got to get it right before God. I can't live in sin. I can't keep living a worldly life. I can't keep doing these things. Have you got enough of God to look at the person you're failing with and say, I can't fail with you anymore. I got to serve Jesus. I can't keep doing this anymore. I got to serve Jesus. I can't keep acting like this. I can't be in that crack house. I can't be in the house of a woman I'm not married to. How much is he worth? What is our level of love for him?